Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, now we're still rolling. We're still rolling. Can you feel it? Are you, are you feel like we're close to the end? I can feel it. I can feel it. I can see it. I mean, we're, we are in Genesis 46. 46, you do the math. We can't, be, we can't be far from the end at this point. We can't be. Maybe. Maybe three more episodes, I think. Time will tell. But, but this one... This one is this one's a lot of fun. This one's a lot of fun. Little little politicking going on. Little little intrigue. Little polit 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 political polit. Hang on, Bob. Political intrigue. <laughs> the engineer Bob's like, what 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 was going on? I was like, I don't know. I I couldn't get Paul out of my brain, and um, I kept thinking it's not Polish. Political political. Sorry, I need a drink or something. There we go. Hey, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. I'm just excited. I am. I'm on a roll. Fired up. Fired up. Chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the Lord, the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a night vision. And said, Jacob, Jacob, here am I, he said. I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation down there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Wow, how sweet is that? There's a lot that's said there. We're, I don't know if you caught it. There's a verse in there that I think is vital. <laughs> and we're going to hit it. Here we go. So they put it all together. <laughs> they set out with all that was this. This is, a, this is a big caravan. We're probably talking about 300 people that, that were, by the time you add in the families and their servants and their shepherds and the herdsmen and the, the marketing guys. <laughs> no, there's no marketing guys. The R&D, no, stop it. But there were people, there were hanger honors that would, you know, that were just kind of absorbed into the family clan because they were just good people. Like there was a lot of people involved in this. And it probably took them again. Uh, they were rushing. Remember, they didn't have to bring everything with them. They could leave behind a lot. But there were things, it doesn't matter when you move. Listen, I, I'm uh, at the time of this recording, I've started an RV trip with my wife. We, uh, we sold everything, sold our house, resigned our jobs, they, we had a beautiful house and good jobs. I, I can't go into all the details, but <laughs> feel free to reach out. And and we uh, we really believed God wanted us to do that. Trust me, that we 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 believed it, and and there was we believed there was pretty clear direction uh, to do it, and confirmation all over the wazoo. So it just it's just kind of fun to kind of flippantly say it, like yeah, we resigned our jobs. Sold our house. We're now homeless and jobless, and and we have a nice looking truck and a beautiful RV, and we're dragging it around the country. But even in that, like we're downsizing our house, right? Went from twenty seven hundred square feet to three hundred square feet. In that, there are things you look at and you say to yourself, "Ah, oh, I really like this." Yeah, but you're not going to need it. 
but I really like it. So we're going to store it. Are we taking it with us? Well, I probably can't take it with us, but right. So it's in storage. So we also have a storage unit and in the storage unit is it's, it's fairly small. It's a small one, right? 10 by 15. But there are things that even now, when I think about it, I think, why, Bob? Why, why did you put that stuff in storage? And honestly, the answer that I come up with is it's still, it makes me happy. <laughs> it seems ridiculous, right? It really does. But it, but it does. Like when I think about it even now, standing here in, a, in a, my friend's guest room office, uh, making this recording, I think, yeah, no, I still, still makes me happy. I still, I'm, I'm still glad we saved it. So when I think about these people preparing to go and, and the husbands come back and they're like, you don't have to bring anything. And then they're, you know, you're actually packing stuff away and you're like, well, what are we going to do with it? Leave it here in the desert? Well, that's a good point. What are you going to do with all your tents? Uh, I don't know. What do, what do you do with with, spit, with with tents now that you don't need them? I I don't know. Fold them up? Yeah, but then what? Uh, put them in put them in trunks. Okay. Now what? You sell them to who? It's a famine. It's not like people got extra you know cash running around. Well, you trade it for something for what? Food? You got food? For carts? You have carts. For for animals? You have animals. For new horses, you just got new horses from Egypt. Honestly, this this was not an easy task. We think it's easy. Just just pack up everything and go. It's it's hard to let go of some things that mean a lot to you. What about your bedding? Oh, we got new beds. Well, yeah, but I like I like this quilt. I like this uh, this blanket. I like this pillow. I like like there's things you like. There's things you want to take with you. There's things that remind you of home. So. So I just, this is what I picture, right? It's just all of that stuff going on in every household. We got, we got 11 households going through this. And Jacob, of course, he's been around forever, right? 130 years, I think, um, at this point. Yeah, about 130 years. He's got stuff, and Benjamin's got stuff. And they're all looking around, and they're like, we we got stuff. We we got to bring stuff. We can't we can't leave it all behind. I know Pharaoh told us to leave it all behind. I can't leave it all behind. I got to bring stuff. Uh, you know, and every husband's looking at look at you know would would run into his brother or whatever, and they'd be like, "So how's it going?" Oh my my wife wants to bring, you know whatever. Really? Yeah, she really likes it, and uh, so I told her we'd find room. Yeah, well, my wife, she really, you know, and 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 the, and the wives get together. They're like, "Can you believe he wants to bring that old ratty piece, you know, piece of cloth that he calls a a robe?" I can't believe it. He shows up with this brand new stuff from Egypt, and he wants to bring that old nasty thing, smelly. I'm, I'm gonna lose it. We're gonna lose it in the desert. I'll tell you. There's no way that thing makes it into Egypt. I am not walking into Egypt with that. It had to be. It had to be a lot of fun. In, in some ways, and if I, if, well, not if, but because I see this so many times, I see these narratives as a movie, I can see this clearly in my head. So have some fun with it in and of yourself. And that's all in that verse. He set out with all that is his. And then he reaches Beersheba. Uh, now, uh, just just a reminder, right? All that is his also refers to all that is, all his relatives. 
So that would have been Esau if Esau had ha uh, was alive, but Esau was not. But there are relatives of Esau that made this journey along with uh, Jacob and the family, just so you know. So they go to Beersheba. Now, at Beersheba, they make an offering. It says uh, he offered sacrifices to God and to his father Isaac. This is, this is kind of the first reference to Jacob making an offering since Joseph has died. So, again, it speaks to that restoration when it says his spirit was revived within him at the end of the, of the last chapter. This is part of that spiritual revival again. He feels connected again to God. He, he Listen, it's not that God had gone anywhere. We've covered this 50 different ways already, and I will continue to, to pound it home because so many people believe that their uh, they they believe their circumstances determine their theology, and they think their circumstances indicate that that God is not there, that He's separated from them, and it's just not true. So here we got Jacob reconnecting to the presence of God that's already you know already been there, never left. Whatever, however you want to word it. So he makes an offering of, of, uh, offering of thanks. And that night, the Lord speaks to, Israel, speaks to Jacob, speaks to Israel in a vision, a night vision, which is interesting because uh, it's like there's a, uh, it's noted that it's night as opposed to during the day. If you remember all the way back to Abraham, Abraham had, had visions during the day and during the night. So it's, it's implied that all of his relatives had visions during the day and the, during the night, that God showed up whenever and wherever to have communication. But it says that he, he makes this offering to God of his father, Isaac. So he's remembering the God of Abraham and of, and of, of Isaac, and possibly... Possibly he's remembering the prophecy that was given to Abraham that said your there's you know that that your people were going to be in Egypt for 400 years, but I will bring them back. So Isaac uh, Jacob may be wondering at this point, is this the fulfillment of that prophecy? Is this what's going on? Am I making the right choice? I mean, it sounded amazing. Joseph's in charge. We have all this new stuff. We've been we've been asked to come to come to Egypt. You know, sometimes you get caught up in that stuff. And at night, whatever night that might be, you're lying there alone and you start to think, wait, am I, is this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing the right thing? And again, back to my little story currently, you know, at this at the recording of this. Yeah, I, I get that. Sometimes it's like, wait, am I doing the right thing? When did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And and every time God is faithful to come back to me and say yes. And, and again, last night he came to me in a dream and he made it very clear to me, Bob, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. And he comes to Jacob uh, here in the middle of the night and he says, hey, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob's like, here, here, here I am. He says, I'm the God of the God of your father. I, I'm the God you were talking to. I know the promises I made. I know the prophecies I made. I know the, the things that I've laid in place. I know them all. And I appreciate the fact that you're reconnecting with me. I haven't gone anywhere. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and will bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. There's a lot there. Again, let's go through this. The promises 
that he gives here is that he says, I'm going to bring expansion of your of your family and favor upon your family. That's pretty awesome. Now, <laughs> he does not say, I am going to enslave your people for 400 years. Enslavement was not the plan of God. <gasps> Bob, Bob, you've crossed the line. Things are going to go bad for you now. I've been a part of so many conferences, Bob. This enslavement, the, the slavery of Israel was the plan of God. And you just said it's not. Wow, I think I redlined that entire thing. I'm really sorry, Brian. <laughs> All right, let's go through it again. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you, and I will surely bring you back again. Now, it doesn't say they won't be slaves. Oh, see, Bob, now you're okay. Now you're okay. Because clearly God wanted them to be slaves and to be beaten in the submission because that was God's plan. That was the will of God for his people, that they would understand how great and mighty he is so that he could release the 12 plagues and bring Egypt down into a crushing blow so that he would be elevated. Oh, please stop. Okay, that goes into season three, which would be the book of Exodus. And trust me, we're going to hammer this home. But it starts here. Here. <laughs> because he doesn't say anything about that because that was not the plan of God. He's like, my plan is to what? Prosper you, bring favor upon you, turn you into a great nation and I'm going to bring you back. And then he promises Jacob, you're going to make it through this journey. You will make it the, the three weeks it takes to get down to Egypt. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. That's what he was assuring Jacob. Jacob's feeling kind of old at this point, right? He was pretty excited. He got everything all packed up. You know, when he finally gets in his cart, he's riding his cart, and they're riding, bebopping, banging along, and he gets down to Beersheba, and he makes, he's like, I, 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 I need to check in with Jesus. <laughs> I totally get that. I need to talk to God. Dear, dear God sets up an altar remembers his father, remembers the promises of God. He's just reconnecting again, and God comes to him, and he says, listen, don't, like you made the right choice. It's all going to be good. You're going to be fine. Good things are going to happen for you and your family. I'm going to be down there with you. I'm going to bring prosperity to you. I'm going to bring favor upon you. Good things, good things. And listen, you, you will survive this journey. It's not going to be as rough as you think. I kind of have a feeling that, you know, Jacob hadn't been on a journey for a while. He hadn't been on, I don't know if he's on the back of a horse or riding in a cart surrounded by, you know, soft animal skins. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes, you know, you, you get a little older and sitting in a, even sitting in a nice cushioned car, right? You kind of get stiff. Your back gets a little tight. You get up and stretch. You just don't feel great. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jacob's thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make three weeks of travel today. <laughs> God's like, 
I just I just picture this and God just being good. Like he's just being good. He's just like, hey, you're you're gonna and you're gonna make it. Don't worry. Every everyone's gonna make it. Everything's gonna make it with you. Uh and you're not gonna die. Uh not not until you're down there. Joseph will be with you when you die. Oh, well, that's good to know. And then we end up with uh so it says, then Jacob left Beersheba. And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in their carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So Jacob and all his offspring went down to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Wow. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters, and all his offspring. There's all kinds of cousins running around having a good old time. Cousins are... Cousins are fun. If you're ever around cousins, cousins have a unique bond, right? Because they're all related, but not too related. Not like brothers and sisters. Like they, they, they're just fun. Cousins are good people. And uh, you know, I like I've told you before. Currently at this recording, I have ten grandchildren, and, and they all get together. I, it's it's hard for me not to share it with the world because it is pretty precious and pretty awesome. But. I've learned, you know, that uh, it's best sometimes just to hold that stuff in your heart and not post it on media or invite a bunch of other people out to watch it. It's just, it's just a blessing. And I think that that Jacob sitting in his cart watched what was going on, and he probably had grandchildren crawling in his cart trying to get an extra, you know, ride up front or whatever. There was there was a lot of good times had as they were they were together why because the closer they got to egypt the more filled with hope they became the more joyful they became the brothers started to really come out of their shells they they didn't realize what a dark place they had been in for the last 20 years their wives hadn't remember you know were, were remembering again how happy and joyful their husbands used to be and they're bringing all their livestock and they're bringing all their all their flocks with them this is Again, no no quick trip because you can't drive livestock really hard when they're dehydrated and they haven't eaten. You you I mean, we're talking there were times they might have only covered four or five miles a day. So this took more than a three this is more than a three week journey. I need a drink, hang on. It's Coke. Oh my goodness. Bob's drinking on the job. Why, yes, I am. All right. I probably should get <clears throat> a sponsorship because I mentioned uh, I drink Coke, uh, no sugar. There. Send that out. See if I can get some sponsorship. Buy myself a real nice re uh, recording uh, microphone or new computer or something. Anyways, enough about you, Bob. On with the journey. Now, um, it says in verse 8, these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went, with, went to Egypt. And I am not reading these out. Sweet Lord, have mercy. There's a lot of them. Uh, 14 sons in all. There were, uh, there's, uh, there was, there were four, oh my gosh. And then the ones that were born to, and the, they're just, it just keeps going. Oh, 
And then there's the ones that all the sons born to be and Laban and his brother seven and okay. Oh, there we go. Verse 26. All who were went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 people. There you go. Wow. That's a group of family. That's just the direct descendants, not counting his son's wives. And with the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. So they, they added in Joseph and his wife and his two sons. Now Jacob sent Judah hmm, ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen when they arrived in the region of Goshen. And Joseph had his chariot made ready, and he went to Goshen to meet with his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, for I've seen that for myself you are still alive. So this little this little soiree, 66 people, plus children, plus grandchildren, plus servants, plus shepherds, plus um, personal assistants, whatever. Like, there's hundreds of them. They all show up. They all get things together. And, and it says that uh, Judas, Judah is sent ahead. Why Judah? Well, Judah has basically regained the trust of, of the clan. Remember, he disappeared for 20 years, kind of made a woohoo uh, uh, problem for the family, as well as uh, made a few bad, bad choices. But he returned home, and remember, he was the one that, that Jacob trusted to make sure Benjamin uh, returned. Judah is the one who stood up for the family and reminded Joseph very boldly and passionately that there was no way any of them were going back without Benjamin. They would all be his servants because, because they couldn't do that to their father. He represented the family well in front of Joseph. And, and so Jacob trusts Judah to be the leader of the clan. Reuben never regains his place as the firstborn son. It's, it's fascinating to me. And he wouldn't send Benjamin ahead because he still had that old habit he was not going to let Benjamin take on any sort of role where he might be at risk. And he, and he sends Judah ahead, and he, uh, he goes to the area that was set aside for them, Goshen. Now, Goshen was an amazing area in the land of Egypt. It was a place of, of great wealth, great water, uh, great grazing lands. And it was, it was not occupied at this time. And I'll tell you about why in a little while. But, but it, wasn't, it wasn't occupied at this time. So when they came in, they literally were able to take over the land and all the housing and all the gra uh, you know, cattle grazing areas and livestock areas. They, they, this was all going to be theirs. And, and Judah goes ahead and he, he goes to this area and he marks out housing and grazing areas. He figures all this out for the family. He's a very trusted leader at this point. That's what it means. He sent him ahead to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. So he goes to Joseph. He's like, Joseph, the family's on their way. They're probably, you know, three, four days behind me. 
Where do you want me to go? And Joseph says, head down to this area, mark mark out where you want so that you can send people where they are. Where, I mean, where, you know, where, the, where they're going to go. Give everybody housing, give everybody grazing. We're going to give you that whole area. Now, Joseph had his chariot made ready and he waited whatever number of days it was until everybody had arrived and he shows up after Jacob did. So he arrives after Jacob, and when he sees them in the land, in their housing, in the city, down there in Goshen, everybody's there. He goes and he meets his father. Now, I don't I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if he came down a hill over a ridge. I don't know if if he was seen by afar, but I'm sure he didn't come alone. I'm sure he was traveling in a chariot that probably was decked out in all kinds of cool looking high high end rims and shiny uh, rings and beautiful reins and gorgeous horses and he probably had runners in front of him announcing his presence and runners behind him announcing his pre- like there this was this was the way that you that Egypt honored people it wasn't like he could say guys I'm I'm going to go I'm taking this one on my own no somebody else was driving the chariot he was standing off to the side. He probably had the little ceremonial uh, staff and his and his uh, signet ring. Like this is this is a big deal. He looked amazing. He prepared his chariot. He made it ready. He went to Goshen. He met his father. As soon as Joseph ap- appeared before him, he threw his arms around him and he cried for a long time. I get this. I do. You know, there was there was times. Uh, my first full time job was in a you know a thousand plus miles away from my family, and I couldn't wait for my for my mom and dad to see what you know what I had become. I couldn't wait for them to see that I had a I had a title, I had an office, I had responsibility. I mean, I look back now, and I think <laughs> I think that. The, the people I was working with was basically gave me titles and gave me responsibility, but really what they did was they, they gave me a whole lot of work to do every day. But it didn't matter. I was very proud of the fact that I had I had arrived. I had I had gotten a job. I was providing for my family. I just kind of think Joseph felt the same way, only on a much greater level. He was like he wanted his dad to see, listen, I I am I am in a fabulous position to honor you. I am in the perfect position to provide for you. I can do for you now things that I could have never done if I had stayed with you. Now, I know he didn't have a choice. And I'm sure God, in God's goodness, God would have still done amazing things for the family through Joseph. So I, I don't even want to pretend again that God somehow orchestrated this whole horrible, traumatic tragedy of life for Joseph so that good things could happen. I don't think God operates that way. But they cried for a long time. Years they had missed. Joseph was married. Joseph had two sons. There were so many things that Joseph had been through that he couldn't ever share with his father because he had made a vow to never reach out again. So Israel says to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, now this is where some politicking comes in, all right? 
Uh, this is where, where this is this is uh, this is interesting. Pay attention, pay attention, children. No, class, class, class. Pay attention. All right. Jacob's heart is settled. That's what he says. I've, I'm ready to die. Now that doesn't mean he's close to death. It just means my heart is settled. I feel good about where I am. Joseph says to his brothers and to his father's household, I'm going to go up and speak with Pharaoh. I'm going to say to him that you are here. You've all arrived. My father's here. He's all arrived. And you, uh, you were living in the land of Canaan, but now you've come to me. Now, the, I'm going to tell them that the men are shepherds, that they tend livestock, that they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own, and when Pharaoh calls you in and says, what is your op- occupation? You should answer that your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood, just as our fathers did before us. And then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Now, this is where the politics are coming in. They weren't lifelong sh- uh, sheep herders and, and shepherds. They had multiple businesses. They had, they had lots of, of avenues of income. They were musicians. They were, they were uh, our version of doctors. They were uh, artists. They were craftsmen. There was all kinds of stuff that they did. They're, what what is Joseph trying to do here? And he's like, I'm going to go to Pharaoh and tell him you you've arrived. I mean, Pharaoh knows that they're coming, right? I mean, he told them to come. He told them, I want you to go get your families and and head down here. So what is going on? Ah, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. So in all of this, he wants to, Joseph has a plan. Now, I'm not saying again that it's God's plan, and I'm not saying that God's not happy with the plan. It's just God works with what you know, with what we do sometimes. He gives us that freedom. He's not going to force us into a plan. He 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 knows that Joseph trusts his goodness, and he trusts Joseph's heart, and Joseph's heart is to keep his family from disappearing into Egyptian culture. He knows that if if he says, hey, this, this family's known, to, you know, as musicians, and this one's known as artists, and this one's known as li- uh, shepherds, and this one's known as incredible at market, uh, value and and uh, trading in, along the shoreline, and this this whole you know this family is well known for their breeding of horses and of and, you know and of uh, camels, and this one like there's all of this stuff that their families are known for, and Joseph's like, no, I have a, if I do this, he's gonna Pharaoh's gonna spread you out all over the country. And I never want to be apart from my family again. So I'm going to keep everybody together. We're going to tell them all that we're shepherds. Egyptians hate shepherds because, you know, they're dirty. And Egyptians are very big about cleanliness and smell and and clean shavenness. And so he says, I don't want you to disappear into family into Egyptian culture. So this is what I want you to do. We're not gonna. We're not gonna bring up all the other things you do: agriculture, the engineering, the music, the music, the artistry. We're gonna focus on on the fact that you're shepherds. 
Because part of all this is Egyptians politically are looking at this going, who's our next Joseph? Who's the next Hebrew that we can we can put into, in essence, our service to make us incredibly wealthy and powerful? Who's the next one that hears from their God that can give us what we want? So Joseph, it, it says, uh, da, da, da. Oh, oh, yeah, so we, yeah. What, what am I doing? We have to go. We have to go to the next chapter. Chapter uh, 47. Joseph, verse 1. Joseph went down. <clears throat> he tells Pharaoh, My father and brothers and their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. Now, again, this is kind of political uh, uh, artistry. All this stuff is stuff Pharaoh would have known. There's no way that they showed up and didn't. No one told them. He knows that they. He knows that they're here. He knows that they're settled in. He knows what's going on. But this is kind of the official declaration. Now, jo, uh, Pharaoh, Joseph, oh, so many characters. Joseph had chosen five of his brothers to present to Pharaoh. Now, oral tradition says, and when I say oral traditions, I'm talking about Hebrew uh, conversation. That he chose five brothers who were who were who were skinny, uh, we'll call them slight of build, and he did this so that Pharaoh wouldn't look at them and think these guys would make great soldiers. He wanted people who wouldn't look like they were meant for the military. He presented the five who best fit descriptions physically of shepherds. He probably had them not shaven clean as much as they could have been. And they presented, the, these are f- the representation of my family. And Pharaoh says to the brothers, what is your occupation? Again, they've been instructed by Joseph how to answer this question in order to politically create the environment that Joseph is trying to create, which is, we're going to keep you from getting absorbed into Egyptian culture. He says, You're, they all answer, this is probably one-on-one. Your servants are shepherds, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come here to live for a while. We don't want to stay forever. We've come because the famine is severe in Canaan, and your servants, flocks, have no pasture, no water. So if it please you, let us settle in Goshen. So after they've been interviewed, after they kind of tell the same story over and over again to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's trusting that they are telling the truth, that they are, they are being sincere, that they're not planning on staying forever, that they just need to get through the famine with their flocks. He says, all right. He goes to Joseph and he says, listen, your father and your brothers have come to you. And the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special abilities, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, wow, interesting. Pharaoh says, how old are you? And Jacob says, I'm the years of my pilgrim." Pilgrimage, I love that phrase, (laughs) are 130. My years have been few and difficult. They are not equal to the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. 
And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best of the parts of the land in the district of Ramses, and Pharaoh, as Pharaoh had directed. And Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. <clears throat> so in all of this pageantry, this political intrigue that goes back and forth, Joseph is basically trying to present a, a picture for Pharaoh that says, we are of no threat and we really have no value. My family really doesn't have any value. They're just meant to be servants. They're just meant to be to to be here for a little while. They're just trying to survive and they're my family and they came to me. And Pharaoh could have, I mean, he had the, the right and he had the opportunity to reject the offer. And even though Joseph had promised it, he could have gone against Joseph and at some level proved to the world that he over, overrides Joseph and Joseph doesn't run the country. As many times people have accused Pharaoh that he doesn't do anything, that Joseph does everything. But Pharaoh, in his wisdom, honestly, had given Joseph the authority to actually turn Egypt into a thriving land. There's a lot of people in charge of things that like to hang on to authority and keep it because they're afraid that if anybody else gets authority, I'm not going to get credit. Joseph wasn't doing that, and, and, and Pharaoh realized that. Like, he recognized Joseph is not here for power, and now his family is not here to take over the land. They're here to feed their flocks, take care of their livestock, and then leave. And then he says, you know, also to Joseph, he's like, so you can put them where you want to put them, take the best land, give it to them. And if you don't mind, give them all of my livestock as well. And what does that mean? Uh, well, that's not just a few goats and, and uh, camels that, that Pharaoh has. When he says, put them in charge of my flocks as well, this means put them in charge of all the flocks that the country owns. Everything is Pharaoh's. Remember, he's he's a godlike character. He's worshipped by the people. Everything belongs to him. When he says, have them take care of my flocks, he's saying, have them take care of all the flocks. They are now going to be the shepherds of the Egyptian livestock economy. This is no small thing, and it basically worked just the way Joseph wanted it to. Joseph understood what he was doing, and he played the game perfectly with great, uh, great wisdom. So then Joseph brings Jacob in to meet Pharaoh, and Pharaoh seems to be very impressed by Jacob's age, and, and they interact around that. And Jacob kind of belittles it, as in he doesn't want to he doesn't want to exalt himself above Pharaoh. He doesn't want to say, well, yeah, I'm a lot older than you because, you know, God loves me type of thing. He he kind of downplays it. And he says, oh, I got relatives, you know, that lasted a lot longer than me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm in, you know, I'm not trying to one up you or anything. So the thing that impresses Pharaoh, again, Jacob downplays, which means he's not trying to threaten Pharaoh. He's not trying to one-up Pharaoh. He's not trying to take away any focus from Pharaoh. And he assures, uh, Jacob assures Pharaoh 
that he'll live a long time because I have relatives that have lived a long time. But then he blesses Pharaoh and he blesses them. I, I think he blesses Pharaoh with long age because he comes from a heritage of people who have lived a long time. And Joseph you know, goes back and basically fulfills the promise that he had told his family, and that is, I will, I will give you the best. You will have the best. You will have regular provision of food for everyone. No one will ever go hungry according to the number of their children. That's what it means. It doesn't just mean that everybody you know, got a bag of grain and a, and a bag of, of oats uh, and a, or maybe that is grain, yeah, wheat, oats, and and some carrots. It means everyone was given everything they needed for his, for the number of people that were in their family and those that worked for them. Joseph fulfilled his promise. The people are now in Egypt. Everything is going along wonderfully. And well, except for the fact that there's still famine. And we're going to cover that next week on The Epic Narrative. Have a great day, everyone. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, some thoughts for today. Today's episode kind of got me thinking about journeys. And journeys are are uh, complicated things. Not complicated in like they're bad. Complicated, I guess layered is probably better. And that's what I hope you kind of picked up somewhat today. Uh, the layers that are involved in getting from, from Canaan down to Egypt. And when they got there, there were more layers. Because when you arrive somewhere, you're not done, right? I mean, even, even living here in the RV and we're preparing... Uh, we're preparing to settle down again for for a few months uh, in in a uh, in a situation where, anyways. But you know, even when you arrive, there's work to be done. There's things that that need to be set up and prepared, and then from there you get to start over. Uh, I've I've made a lot of moves in my life, and every one of them, I was excited to get there. But then there was there was a, a time. There's a time that, that it takes to actually figure out life and get connected. And here specifically, it was it's interesting because the way that Joseph set up everything, when they arrived at this city where village, town that they were taking over, there was really no Egyptians there to speak of. They were they were going to be the clan of that of that region. And in being the clan, they still had to figure out life. Where do you get water? Where do you get food? Where do you get, where do you plant? Do you take over somebody else's garden? Um, are there boats? Are there, are there places to graze? I mean, there's, there's logistics that make arrival almost just as hard, if not harder, than the travel. At least when you travel, everything's kind of locked down, right? Everything's tied up. Everything's in its place. And although you might pull something out for an overnight or two, you're really not disturbing a whole lot. I mean, that's the way it is, at least in our RV. We we hit the road and we, uh, you know, we may go somewhere. Even if we're going to stay somewhere for two or three nights or a week, it uh, it doesn't involve a whole lot of work. 
and and the setup and the teardown, like we we got that down, like the rhythm of of when we pull in, what we do, we each kind of have our roles. We double check with each other. It works really well, especially if we quote boondock, where you just pull into a parking lot that's appropriate. You're not supposed to park, do this anywhere, but you find out you there are businesses that that welcome RVers to come and and spend the night. Then you're then you're even less. Like you spend even less time because you you get what I, I call you get small. Like you don't even pop your your slide outs out. You just kind of it's like yeah it's it's basically you pull over, you climb in, you go to bed, uh, or you know you get something to eat and go to bed. It's it's really not a lot of effort. But when you arrive somewhere where you're going to set up for a month, or in this case uh, where we're going, you know six months, then you you pull out everything and it it. It's not that you pull it all out right away. You pull it out over time. But as as the family goes and needs to set things up, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time and, and a lot of work. But that greeting, right? That's the other thing that really hit me. The greeting of a father and a son when... When well, the son right, Joseph knew that jo- that Jacob was alive because he had talked to his brothers, but uh, the father didn't, you know, hadn't seen him. He didn't know until three weeks earlier. And and as he's getting closer, like just picture the anticipation within his heart to know I'm going to see Joseph. I'm going to see Joseph, a son who you know he had mourned for good grief 20 plus years 20 years he mourned him now you know do i think that's appropriate i don't know i mean i never lost a child i i don't know what a what a parent does but but we know that he was that he was out of balance in his in his privilege and love of joseph he he held him at levels that well it was clearly caused emotional damage to all the other sons. So so his mourning of Joseph for the last 20 plus years, and then to know that that's over, that he's really going to see this son that he adores and, and literally stop the world for. That whole last, I would say, day and a half, two days? How, I mean, what do you think? How long does it go? How from day one, the whole three and a half weeks, or as you get closer, does it just start to start in your stomach and your, and your, and your mind. And then, you know, the tinglings and your, I don't know, in your legs and your joints start to feel like jello. And then to see Joseph coming out, like in all of his entourage and all of the glory, man, it, it just had to be, it just, it's, 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 it's something that I can imagine but to describe it is really difficult. I would imagine I, in my heart, I think there's probably an artist that could capture this or a, you know, a, a movie director that could capture that kind of emotion set into that circumstance. It had to be breathtakingly uh, amazing. And even the brothers who, who clearly had been dismissed by their father for years I think they probably were also touched by it because, of course, they thought they killed him uh, or at least lost him forever. Like they, they, 
and and at some level it was like wow all right we actually didn't kill him i i don't know it 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 had to be it had to be a, quite a day quite a day and and it wasn't going to end anytime soon they were going to be around for a while and the opportunity to you know to get past the surface logistical questions of where where did you go what was it like like they they probably were able to ask some really good questions of each other themselves and of Joseph uh during during the next coming years it had to be a fascinating uh journey in and of itself let alone the things we'll touch on here as we continue uh through the rest of the book of Genesis but i i certainly hope you're enjoying the opportunity to really imagine the impact the layers the the the, the weaving of multiple threads that go into a journey like this have a fabulous day everyone i look forward to seeing you well i look forward to speaking with you again next week on the epic narrative everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com see you next week guys